This is Doray Olalia, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast, episode 128. Are you ready to be the master architect of your life? Are you ready to design your business and invest the needs that create the lifestyle you've always dreamt of? Are you ready to learn from entrepreneurs and millionaires who have achieved a certain level of success? Hey, this is Derek, location-independent entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hi, I'm Gina Lofton. I am an investor, and you're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey there, my name is Heather Havenwood, marketing coach and global entrepreneur, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. Hey, this is Mark Asquith, the host of the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, global entrepreneur and all-round geek, and you are listening to the Before the Millions podcast. I am MC Lobster, the Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to Before the Millions podcast. You're listening to the Before the Millions podcast. But whether you're looking to invest for cash flow or build an online business that allows you to be location independent, you've come to the right place. Mr. Hollywood himself presents the Before the Millions podcast. And now your host, DeRay Olalaye. What is going on, BTM tribe? Uh, welcome to another installment, another week in this beautiful year of 2019. I'm super excited for us to get to the meat and potatoes of today's show. I've been planning for Q4 and I hope you're planning for Q4. I hope that you're you have the mindset that Q4 is going to be your best quarter yet. I know that a lot of people uh, view Q4 as a as a break, as a time to where they can kind of ease up on the pedal. Um, but what's funny is while everybody else is doing that, uh, we could be killing it in our business. So use Q4 and make it your most profitable quarter yet. So actually this morning for the podcast, I created an entire content calendar and I've already installed the episodes for the rest of the year. So I know every single subject matter and every single episode, and every single guest that will be featured for the rest of the year. While I was doing that and I was getting ready to prep this episode, I was listening to this episode, which is something I often do before, um, before I record the actual intro. But I was listening to this episode and I probably recorded this episode back in April, maybe even in March. As I was listening to this episode, I said, man, this sounds really, really familiar. Like, like I just had this conversation. Like, this is crazy. Um, and what it ended up being was that one of my mastermind members sent me an interview of uh, our guest today, Mr. Steve Rosenberg. He sent me an interview of him on the Bigger Pockets podcast uh, that aired maybe about a week or two ago. And that interview was based a little bit more on checklists and using systems, things that you guys know I'm a big fan of. But this interview... Um, this interview just so happens to be more about Steve's story and how from being an airline pilot, which is a whole entire story in itself, and Steve is going to get to that, but how he went from being an airline pilot to owning about 35 units. So get this, Steve owns 35 units and these units are doing terrible. Like he, he believed that he was getting into some, some great investments just because they were low income, high cash flow properties. And he started to realize a lot of problems that he did not account for. So naturally, Steve did not want to manage these properties. He didn't want to deal with this headache. Him and his business partner were like, we're done with this. We need to find a property management company to take over this stuff for us. Well, his business partner went off and actually tried to find a property management company to manage their 35 or so units. Turns out, nobody wanted to manage them. So imagine terrible tenants and worse neighborhoods with zero structure. Things are just going crazy. And at this point, it looks like Steve and his his business are 
are, are done, right? Like there's going to need to be a reset button. For one reason or another, Steve and his business partner decide that they're going to buckle down, that they're going to actually figure this out. If nobody wants to manage their property for them, they're going to figure it out. So, so they started figuring out the tenant process. They started figuring out how to put systems in place, how to put a structure in place, how to have checklists, right? They started having people in the right positions to help when they needed it, right? In essence, they turned these terrible properties that were literally draining them. Like at one point, Steve's wife told him that he needed to go ahead and quit. This wasn't working out. He, he's, not a, he's not a good real estate investor. And they turned these properties that were literally draining them to break-even properties. So again, they, they didn't see ultimate success in that. They started turning these properties into cash-flowing properties or profitable properties, but break-even. But here's where the story gets interesting. They had many friends in the industry, and the friends that they had believed that their business was going under, that they were tanking. But they would still see Steve and his business partner around and wondered, hey, like, we thought you guys were going down. What's going on? And what Steve told them was that there were certain things that they started implementing to help their business, to sustain their business, that all the problems that they used to have, they didn't, they didn't have them as much anymore. But the funny thing about Steve's friends were that they started having those same problems that Steve used to have. And they asked Steve straight up, like, hey, can you, can you, um, can you show me how to do this or can you manage this for me? And initially, Steve was reluctant to that idea, right? He wasn't a property manager. He didn't want to be in the weeds. He was trying to find a property management company for his own property. But after a while, he came around to the idea. And once he came around to the idea, once he decided that it was something that he wanted to do, he went to go find a mentor. And he asked that mentor, can this be a business? Can I, can I grow this? Is this possible? Like, let me show you what I've done. Let me show you the structure I've built. Do you think that it's possible that I can build a business from this? And the mentor looked at his business model and he said, okay, it's scalable. It's marketable. And there's an opportunity in the space. So yes, you can build a business from this. And he hired that mentor and he's been able to build a multi-million dollar property management business from that day forward. That's the story that we're going to talk about here on today's episode. And then in the strategy portion of today's episode, we're actually going to talk about exactly where Steve is finding business. So you want to stick around for that because it's mind blowing how we use the internet today to get new business. Speaking of, if you haven't already, connect with me on Instagram. That is my social media platform of choice. Also, if you haven't already, join us on Facebook. Join us in our Facebook group, and the link to both of those will be in the show notes. Um, if you're wondering where some of the bonus episodes are going and have been going, um, it's in our Facebook group. So that's not to say we still have bonus episodes on the podcast every once in a while, but if you want some extra content, join us on Facebook. Let's get into the tip of the week, and then we'll get straight into the show. DeRay's Tip of the Week. So I am my third time through this book called Super Coach. And uh, I just want to kind of give you guys one of the lessons in this book. And this is actually lesson one in this book. There are 10 lessons in this book. And this book is not for coaches, by the way. It's called Super Coach because it kind of shows you how you need to start uh, coaching yourself. And what I often see in, in many of us, and I coach up many of students and a lot of us have the same recurring issues, and it's, it's often that our thinking is what gets the best of us. So in this book, they talk about living life in two different dimensions, right? So you have the horizontal dimension, which is, you know, from the time you're born to the time that you die. And then there's the vertical dimension, which is everything between that, right? What's your relationship with that actual journey? So the author of the book, he tells a story, and the story is of his daughter's friend and how she comes to him for advice, 
because she's a dancer and she's looking to advance in her career. She's looking to advance at, at the dance company that she's at. So I believe that she's trying out in front of a panel. Panel ultimately is going to make the decision on whether or not she's able to advance. Well, according to her, things don't go the way that she expected them to go. And it wasn't like things got really bad, but she just didn't get the sense or the vibe that she was actually going to get in or she was going to she was going to level up. So she approaches the author and she's scared and she's furious. And she's just like, man, like, I need to figure figure out a plan because I don't think I'm going to get in. Like, I don't think this is happening for me. So what she tells the author is, is, is hey, this is what I'm thinking. I want to go ahead and take a crash course with you. And I want to I want to figure out how to negotiate. I want to figure out persuasion. I want to figure out how to influence. Like, maybe I can change their minds. Maybe I can undo what's already been done, right? So that was her that was her 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 first option. That's kind of what she presented to the author. And then her second option was like, and this is more like a backup option. She's like, maybe I should run a smear campaign, right? Saying like these people aren't skilled at what they do, they don't know how to judge, and so on and so forth. And and, and kind of get them get them uh removed from their position so maybe new panelists can come in and they can actually bring her aboard. That that was that was option number two, and that's a little bit outlandish, but again. These are her options. And then option number three is like, maybe it's a sign. Maybe this is not for me. Maybe I shouldn't be a dancer, right? Maybe maybe I should find a different career option. And maybe I should start looking at some of these other options. So again, she goes through her thoughts. And these are her three options in her mind. And many of us, many of us would have created a similar set of options. Maybe finding that way to take that extra step to get in or actually looking for an alternative method. Like we would, we would create a similar set of options depending on what the outcome was. So she's living her life thinking about these options because again, on the horizontal dimension, we believe that we can improve our experience of life by changing our circumstance. That's when things will be better, right? But on the vertical dimension, it's all about changing our relationship with the circumstance. Because for the next two weeks, while she's waiting to hear back, she's living her life in torment. She's living her life planning the, 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 these options. She's living her life making decisions simply based on her thoughts without any evidence yet, without any confirmation. She's making actual decisions. She's setting things in motion. How many of us can relate? And these decisions, they're not minor decisions. They're the type that are ultimately changing the trajectory of her life. I mean, just imagine like a smear campaign. Like if you if you went through with that, like what what are the repercussions? What happens? Imagine changing your whole life trajectory because a few people told you that you, you you're not qualified for this. Like she's planning these things over the next two weeks rather than living in the vertical, living with the circumstance that she's currently in and changing her outlook on the circumstance. And th- th- this story goes to show that we think that we're experiencing reality. But in reality, we're actually experiencing our thinking. And what made it even worse is that night, one of her friends with the inside scoop texted her and told her that, hey, you didn't get in. And he was joking, of course. He was actually saying it in a way to make sure that she was super surprised the next week when she found out that she actually made it. Luckily, the author of this book, he had been a coach for a while, and he told her that it's not best to make rash decisions while you're in this kind of state. Like while you're drowning in the negative, it's it's like your worst time to make any type of decision. Like your decisions, everything that you do around that negative state is going to be terrible. Do not trust your thinking in that state. Because imagine if she would have went through with any of so because imagine if she would have went through with some of those options. The head of the company ended up loving her and she ended up loving the head of the company, the same person that she was going to smear. If she would have spent those two weeks enjoying her life living in that vertical dimension, 
changing her relationship with the circumstance, knowing that no matter what happens, she's exactly where she needs to be. She's who she needs to be to get to where she wants to go. Because in this instance, she went back to the author and she was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think it would have been a great use of my time learning the art of persuasion and learning um, how to do a smear campaign and learning all these things that she was literally changing course. Like she was literally about to spend countless hours, days, weeks doing a ton of things that didn't really have anything to do with the things that she truly wanted to do all because of her vertical thinking. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have real problems. We're not facing real problems every day, but nine times out of 10, it's circumstantial. Nine times out of 10, we think that we have a reality problem, but in reality, we have a thinking problem. Again, this book is called Super Coach. If you decide to pick it up, I would love to hear from you and your thoughts on the book. Let's get to the show. And now your feature presentation. Steve, how's it going today? It's good. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm doing well and no problem at all. Again, I'm excited to kind of get into your story. But let's kind of give some context, kind of talk about your, your younger, your formative years and maybe what you were up to and take us back there. Sure. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely an interesting story. And, and I would, I'm going to venture to say it's probably not the, the average or the normal. Um, so uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, grew up there, played sports, uh, um, did pretty well uh, as an athlete, uh, playing football and other stuff. Um, my, my passion was always wanting to learn to fly airplanes uh, as a little kid. Uh, you know, you look up in the sky and you see these planes up in the air and you're like, how do they do that? And uh, that was kind of my question. And um, from playing sports and playing football and, you know, doing some bodybuilding and stuff like that over the years, I, I've learned to be very, very disciplined and, and work as hard as I could at, at accomplishing whatever I needed. And so I took that same attitude towards flying. And uh, I, I was very persistent in, in my career of, of learning to be an airline pilot. And I took it to where um, the average age to get hired as an airline pilot is normally about 35 years old. I got hired at 25. Um, I, I will say it's not because I'm the smartest person in the room, because I'm definitely not. Um, I think because I didn't know that I couldn't do it because nobody said I could not do it because I didn't know anyone in the industry. So I just did what I thought I should do, which was attack everything 10 X and just go at it. And, um, because of that, it, it, by the time I became an airline pilot, that's when I had people ask me, how did you get hired so soon? Like nobody gets hired until they're 35. And I was like, I don't know. I just did it. I didn't, I, I'm not sure. So my, my point is, is that I was very, very diligent in this career. Um, and unfortunately, as many people remember, um, a day happened in history that, that affected my life forever. And it's nothing that I did, but I was, I was a direct derivative of it. And that was nine 11. So the day nine 11 hit changed my life and my, my, my trajectory, uh, forever. And the reason it changed my life is when you're an airline pilot on September 10th, I had the best job in the world. I was flying airplanes. I was traveling around the world. I was, I don't know, maybe 29, 30 years old. Um, I was top of the world. September 13th, I got served a notice saying that basically my job was going to be furloughed. I was going to be out of work and on the street with 200,000 other airline pilots. Wow. And oh, by the way, everything that you just did for the rest of your, for the first part of your life, studying, focusing, and being so focused really has no value to us. And you probably won't ever get a job in what you just did because we don't even know if the airline industry will ever exist. So wow. 
if, if you, if for anyone that's ever transitioned and kind of gotten hit in the face and, and, you know, not knowing it, this, this was a huge hit because like I tell people, when you're, when you're in an industry that changes and evolves, for example, the stock market or the dot com or oil industry, you can kind of see the trend happening. You know, layoffs are coming in the oil industry because of the price of oil and there's derivatives of that. Well, when 9-11 hit, there was, there was no indication. Basically, it was September 10th, best job in the world. September 13th, thanks for playing. You may not have another job or career. And the hundreds of thousands of dollars that you have in loans and savings are gone. So it, it, was, it was a very interesting time. And it's, it's a very humbling time, I will tell you, to have that ripped away from you. And you think, I didn't even do anything wrong. I had no, no control. I didn't do anything. But yet, I'm a victim of this, which is wow. it's a... I don't know if you've ever had that or your listeners have, but it's very interesting. Yeah, it, it is. And I think about your story, Stephen. You know, when you when you've almost essentially groomed your whole life to become what it is that you've always wanted to be, first and foremost, most people don't do that. Most people have a dream of being something or, or, or starting something or doing something, and that never actually comes into fruition, right? But you had this dream of, of, of being a, a pilot, and you achieved that dream, and you achieved that dream at such a young age. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's funny, as a kid, we're told we can be whatever we want to be, right? You have a child and you say, you can be president, you can be an astronaut, you can do whatever you want to do. But at some point, when we go from child to teenager to adult, you, if you were an adult and you said, for example, like, like you did, hey, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to be an investor. Everybody would say, you're stupid. You'll never work. You'll fail. So it's interesting because what happens when you're a kid, you're told you can do whatever you want to do. But as you become an adult, now you're told you can't do it. And it's yeah. because all the negative pressure that, that basically what quote unquote society tells you, you should and shouldn't do. Now you go, well, yeah, maybe I shouldn't, but obviously you broke through, you broke through the mold. Um, I broke through the mold, not because I really wanted to. I, I tell people I, I never wanted to own real estate. I never wanted to own a company. I never wanted to speak around the US or internationally, that was not in my plan. My plan was to be an airline pilot, but circumstances happened. And I think because of my personality and the fact that I, I won't, I, I, I'm not one to get pushed around or told what to do and, and dictated my life, I thought, okay, I've got to take control and I've got to do something. Um, and I've got to make this happen on my own because it's obviously not going to happen for me because the safe, secure job that I thought I had was actually the most unsafe, unsecure job anybody could ever have. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I want to touch on that because, well, first and foremost, you know, often when people say that you, you, uh, you, you can't do that, you know, there's, there's, you shouldn't do that. That's stupid. You know, they're, they're often projecting their, their inner, their inner thoughts, their inner emotions. They can't do that. And therefore, if you were to try something that they couldn't do, first off, it's going to give them a feeling of shame or a feeling of resentment. Or so, so when often somebody's telling you, you can't do that, they can't do that. And in fact, you should probably try and go see if you can do that, because that's when, I mean, that, that's when things open up, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship. Now, when you talk about you having your dream job at the age of 25, and it's almost like you're getting a call on September 13th and every, your, your whole world ends. And people often talk about the fact that, you know, people paint this picture like, oh, like, you know, you, you, you become like a, a airline pilot and if you do that, well, you're not going to have a transferable skill. And that, that's always like the random pie in the sky, like job. Like if you do, you're not going to have a transferable skill. Well, that's not a random pie in the sky job for you, Steve. That's really what you did. Yeah. So 
when it comes to having transferable skills, when it comes to the very next steps for you, I mean, September 13th, your whole life changed. What was, what, what was your life like in the next few weeks? You know, it, it, was, it was very surreal. Um, and people that remember 9-11, um, you know, kind of remember that. To, it, 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 I used to tell people, it's almost like the sun is the moon and the moon is the sun. And it was, you know, being in the industry of being an airline pilot, when that happened, all eyes were on us. All focus was on us. And, and people that remember, next thing you know, we had the SARS epidemic. We had the, the, the foot and mouth disease. I mean, it was like the locusts were going to come next. I mean, it was anything you could imagine that was going to put airlines out of business was on its way. Um, airlines were going out of business over the next couple of weeks. They were, they were going into bankruptcy and abrogating their contracts so that they could wipe out all the pilots' pensions and retirements. So you had guys that were working for airlines that were already retired, getting their annuity pension. And basically they went into bankruptcy court, they wiped those out. And these guys that were retired basically were like, sorry, you're no longer getting your pension that you worked 30, 40 years for is now gone in the swipe of a pen. So it was very, very surreal. And and I'll tell you, one of the, one of the most interesting, uh, for me, turning points was in the, in the, Several days after that, maybe the next week or so, um, for people that remember 9-11, all of the planes, wherever they were at that moment, were told that they had to circle and land over any airport they were at or they would be shot down. This was when 9-11 was actually happening. Um, So every plane, wherever they were, had to circle and they had to land right there. Well, so all these planes are scattered all over the world, right? Parked dead, basically. So after that, they when, when basically air travel started opening up again and they started allowing the planes to fly, they needed pilots to be redesignated to all these different cities around the world to pick these planes up to reposition them. And and I'll tell you what, the 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 moment that I will never forget was I, I, I forget what airport I was in, maybe it was Denver or JFK. I, I don't really remember, but I remember walking through a terminal and I will tell you if you've ever been in a big airport terminal that has nobody in it, it's this huge cavernous echoing building of silence. And it's very eerie. And so I remember walking through this building, looking out at the tarmac of hundreds of planes that are parked in a jigsaw puzzle, dead basically. And it looked like a graveyard of airplanes. And I remember thinking to myself at that moment, my life will never be the same again. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it'll never be the same. But I remember also saying, I will never allow myself to be put in this position again because this happened because I got lazy and I got complacent and you you know I can say yeah I had the best job in the world I had a career we can say all that to make ourselves feel better but the reality was is I was not being a good steward of my life and my career for my family and in a way I thought to myself you know what this is what I get for taking my eye off the ball and if it if it happens once you know shame on you if it happens twice shame on me and I thought I will never allow this to happen again because I did this to myself. So that was a, and again, it was that, I mean, you know, to me, it's like come out, come out swinging. And even though it was just a couple days after I already was like, there's no way this is going to bring me down. Like there's no way I'm going to stop. And so that was that moment that I thought, okay, I've got to, you know, the one thing that you learn being a pilot is, you know, you you have emergencies that happen, right. And you got to work the problem. You've got to assess the problem. You've got to work the problem. You've got to, you, you know, it's the things that will kill you. So that part of me has been ingrained in me from all the years of flying. And so I just thought, okay, I got to work the problem. Like, what is the problem? How do I create the solution? And, and that really is, is what 
got me out of that position. I believe I, that's what I truly believe. Yeah, that, that is awesome. And, and so, so, I mean, walk us through that progression. So the next few years, like talk, talk to us about these, 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 these businesses that you start yeah. maybe even thinking about building or somebody's presenting these ideas to you. Like, where are you getting some of these, you know, the, the, these earlier, earlier notions that you wanted to do something or build something or create something that was going to, that was going to serve or help these people around the world. Like when, when did this start happening? Well, you know, so that, that's a great question. So what happened with me is, you know, I started looking for, okay, what could I do? And, and I remember looking in the want ads thinking, I'll do whatever it takes. If I have to dig ditches, I'll dig ditches. I don't care. You know, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to survive. And I remember looking in the want ads and I was like, I'm not even qualified to drive a truck. I don't even have a truck driver's certificate. I'm thinking I can fly a Boeing 737, but I can't even drive a truck. This is crazy. And, and, and I started thinking, okay, what could I do? So I started looking up things that people get wealthy on. How, do, how is wealth created? What, what do you do to make money? What is a side job? I just really started looking and I felt like I was so far behind the curve because I had wasted 29 years of my life doing something that may not ever exist anymore. Um, so I, 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 kept, I kept coming back towards real estate. Real estate kept popping up with people that, that are rich, people that make money, passive income, just whatever it was that was somehow tied back to real estate. So I thought, okay, maybe it's this real estate. Maybe this is it. I mean, I've always thought to myself, you know, as you know, you always talk to people and they go, man, I wish I owned some rental properties. I always want to get into rental properties. And I thought, yeah, I would have always wanted rental properties. It kind of seemed to coincide with being an airline pilot, a lot of time off, passive income, not a lot of work. It's not necessarily a job um, per se. So what I did is I started reading everything I could about real estate. I started reading a book a week because I felt like I was so far behind the curve, I felt like I, I felt like I was in a competition and I was losing and I had to do everything I could to catch up to my peers that were doing deals. So I just wanted to understand the whole dynamics of real estate. And I felt like I had walked through a looking glass and I was in this new society of words and verbiage and cash on cash and ROI. And I was just, I was just soaking this up, you know, the rich dad, poor dad books, all those things I was just reading and consuming. And so I started getting into um, learning about wholesaling and, and it wasn't even called wholesaling back then. This is in 2003. I forget what the term was, but it was just basically, you know, optioning contracts is what it was. And so I liked the idea because I could make money. I was a pretty good negotiator and talker in general. Um, I just needed a little direction about understanding what I was negotiating. And so I started doing that. And, and as I did it again, I started taking classes. I got short, I paid paid a couple people, you know, $10,000 to train me how to do it. And I was just, I was all in. Three weeks after the guy basically says, yeah, you should be fine. I get my first deal. I close my first deal. I make like 20 grand on my first deal. And I'm thinking, man, like, okay. Like I didn't know, I knew nothing, which was probably helpful. Cause if I knew something, I probably would have said this will never work, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I just kept moving forward. Like I would not, I would not stop. I was just, I was fiercely competitive to make this work. Because what was my other option? I was still, they were still furloughing from the bottom up. And just so you know, I got within 30 people of getting furloughed from the airline I was working at. I never got furloughed, but I got pushed out and had to go fly out of New York for a couple years. But I never did lose my job. However, what it did is it made me realize just how unsecure that was. And I needed to work faster because any other attack or, or terrorist, something, I would have been gone. I knew it. I was all like hanging on by the skin of my teeth. So 
I started doing real estate. I started flipping properties and, and I started doing pretty good. I mean, I was, I was doing quite a bit of these properties, flipping them and, and making quite a bit of money. Um, didn't really know what to do with the money, but I was making the money. And I wanted to own real estate. I didn't want to flip because flipping is a job or wholesaling, whatever you want to call it. That's a job, right? I have to show up. I've got to put time in. I got to put work in. I got to negotiate. I got to find a buyer. That's, that's basically work. And even though I, it was, I was very highly paid, it was still, it was a high paying job. I already had a job. I didn't need another job. I wanted wealth. So I joined a local investment group that, that was tied to apartment complexes. And I met a, a person there and uh, long story short, we ended up partnering on an apartment complex together. Um, we bought the apartment complex and uh, turns out this gentleman, Pete Newbig, he's still my business partner today. Um, and we bought the complex. We ended up selling it about three years later on an exit strategy. We took all that cash that we made and he comes to me one day. And I, and I think during that time I maybe bought one or two rental properties and he says, Hey, I got this, I got this idea, you know? And he said, uh, we should start buying a couple houses and partner together and see how that goes. And I said, oh, okay, that'll work. And he goes, Hey, I got this. I, I found these great deals. I think we should get them. So he already knew that I was pretty good at negotiating deals and all that. And I, it was kind of the grass is greener. He had already owned a bunch of apartment complex. He wanted to learn what I was doing in the wholesaling world. I wanted to learn what he was doing in the apartment world. So we kind of traded uh, abilities. So he already knew that I was a pretty good negotiator. And he's like, hey, we can negotiate these deals. We can buy them together. And let's just, instead of giving other people wealth, why don't we keep it and we make our own wealth? I'm like, sounds good to me. So he says, hey, I found these deals. They, there's a bunch of them out there. They're easy to get. They're called low income, high cash flow properties. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I like the high cash flow word. He goes, <laughs> we can get a bunch of them. I'm like, he goes like, well, maybe we should just buy. He goes, why don't we buy a couple? I'm like, why buy a couple? Let's buy as many as we can find. If, if they make sense, let's do it. On paper, 30, 40% cash on cash return, buy them for 30, 40, 50,000, rent them for 900 a month. I'm like, this is a no brainer. I'm like, how stupid are other people not buying these deals? We should buy as many as we can until before other people figure this out, right? We think we've stumbled upon this secret that nobody knew. Yeah. So in one year or a year and a half, we buy about 20 properties, low income houses. And then these people started calling us called tenants and they wanted things like <laughs> they didn't want to pay their rent. Who did thank you? <laughs> And they had this and they had that. And I'm like, what is the deal? Like this isn't part of the books I read about passive income. And so next thing you know, we have tenants moving out. We have maintenance. So all the money that we thought we were supposed to make were going right out the window. We had, we started getting an eight month average tenancy. Our make ready costs were three times the amount because when the tenants would leave, they always like to take parting gifts with them. So they would take air conditioning units and wiring and plumbing and plants. And, you know, so we would walk back to the shell of a property that was only rented for six, seven months. And then we'd have to put all the money that we made back into the property. And it was this vicious cycle. And so we're like, there's got, there's, we've got to do something better. This, this isn't working. So in all of our wisdom um, of our geniusness that you would think, we buy another 15 of these things thinking, well, we're halfway through the hill. We might as well just buy more and get economies of scale. And this will be much better. Well, that was like gasoline on a fire that just exploded in our faces. And it went from bad to incredibly worse. Now we had 35 of these houses, horrible tenants, horrible situation, 
could not get them rented, could not keep tenants, coming out of pocket for these properties. And we just were like, this is bad. Like we, we, we are in a bad way. And so at one point we said, okay, you know what? And my wife actually was the one who said, basically, you guys suck at buying houses. You are no good at buying rental properties. You need to stop this. Well, me being who I am, I'm thinking I can fix this. I know that I can fix this. I just need to figure it out. Well, the, the answer to figuring out was stop buying crappy homes, but that, that wasn't coming into my mindset. So finally, I'm like, okay, let's just stop this and let's look at this logically. And we said, okay, we have three options. We can buy, we can, we can sell them, we can buy a property manager, or we can hire a property management company, or we can manage them ourselves. We didn't want to manage them ourselves. We couldn't sell them because it was 2009 and nobody could get a loan. So we thought, okay, let's get a management company. So my business partner says, hey, I will contact a management company and I, let me do some interviews and, and I'll, we'll, we'll hire one and then we'll be done with this. I'm like, perfect. So he calls me up like a week later and he's like, man, I got some bad news. I'm thinking, did we buy, did we buy another one and didn't know? Or what, what did we do? He says, nobody wants them. I'm like, what do you mean nobody wants them? He goes, nobody wants the properties. They said they'll never make money and they're always going to be this hard of work. And for these seven, eight, nine hundred dollars rentals is not worth their time. And I'm like, but you, you told me these were great deals. Like I bought these because you told me that. And he's like, yeah, I messed, <clears throat> I messed up. So I'm like, okay, wow. our, our, our only option now is back to the first option we didn't want to do, which is we have to figure this out and self-manage them. So he and I sit down for about six months and we plumb a company creating infrastructure and policies and procedures the way he and I as investors would want our properties run. And so what we ended up doing is, is we started creating these policies, procedures, and structure to make it run like a profitable business, really for self-preservation. This was never to create a company. This was so that we didn't go bankrupt. And so what we ended up happening was, is after about another six months, the property stabilized. They never actually made us money, but we stopped losing money. And what happened was, is we had other investors that we knew locally here in Houston approach us and said, hey, um, you know, we thought you guys were going out of business. What's going on? It looks like you guys have turned the corner. And we said, well, the, the quick answer is, is we're running it like a business now. And we told them we had this problem, this problem, this problem. This is how we fixed it. And they were like, you know what? That's the same problem I'm having. Could you manage our house? And at first we were like, no freaking way. We just solved our own problems. We don't want your problems. Like, I'm not doing this. Like, this is not a way that I want to spend my day solving your problems. But then we thought, you know what? Maybe there's a business here. Maybe there's a model. Maybe, there, maybe you can turn this into a business. So the first thing we did is we went to a business coach. And we said, look, here's what we have. This is what we did in the past. This is what we've evolved. This is where we think. And this is what we think we could do do we have a business? And he says, well, you have scalability, you have marketability, and you have opportunity. So by definition, you have the ability to create a business. What you morons do with it from here is anyone's guess because you do not know anything about business and you will run it into the ground. So at that point, we hired our first business coach that day. <laughs> so, so now we have a business coach on a business that we don't even know what we're doing. And that was June of 2012, just to give you some reference. So wow. December 1 of 2012, my business partner, we did what's called burning our boats, basically. My business partner quit his job. We hired our first full-time employee at our company, and we kind of pushed chips all in. 
So if you flash forward to today, today we manage about a thousand properties. I've got operations in Houston, Dallas, and Fort Worth. Um, I've got a full brokerage of realtors. Um, I speak um, as a speaker on the subject um, around the U.S., around Australia, um, other places on subject matter of, of owning properties, property management, all that kind of stuff. I've got two podcast shows. I've written seven eBooks. I've got a, an autobiography that's coming out. And, and a lot of that is just, I had to change my mindset. And, and where I'm going with all this is the biggest thing I've learned is what got me to the point of being an airline pilot is not what is going to get me to the point of being successful in anything else. And I had to change my mindset to become a different person. I had to think differently. I had to be open to failing, which as an airline pilot, you don't want to fail because you'd be on the news, I guess, in theory. Um, but you know, you, you don't, you don't want to, nobody ever wants to fail, but in business, it's okay to fail. So I had to learn this new dynamic about being a business owner, a business operator. Um, yeah. And so that, that was a, that was a big change for me to realize that I had to start, you know, I, I went from pilot to failed investor to the bottom of a property of a business that I knew nothing about and created it. And now I, I, I help a lot of people. I mentor people. I, I help offices, businesses, um, because of so much education and time that I've spent and kind of all the failings that I've had, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I can totally, I can totally resonate with that, Steve. And, you know, I think about the fact I think about just your outlay, like you're, you're before the million story. And even, even when you got, where you guys have gotten to present day, and it's been, it's been simply amazing just to be able to walk through that progression and seeing how a lot of your trials and tribulations, I mean, you would think that those things would end you, but those are the things that fueled you. And I often see that with a lot of entrepreneurs where, you know, it's that exact thing that that's bothering you. It's that exact thing that you're having trouble with. It's that exact problem that you're facing that you normally use as a solution, not only for yourself, but for others. And that's what you were able to do when you built your property management company, which is amazing. When you think about client acquisition as a property management company and where we are here in 2019, what, what's, the, what's the number one source for client acquisition for you guys today? Uh, right now, the number one source for client acquisition is, um, I would say, the internet. Um, and one, one thing I'll say that, that I have learned the difference on that I think is, is very important um, is even though I own a property management company, I have learned the distinction that I am not a property manager. I own a business and that business is really a sales and marketing company. Yep. It just sells and markets a different gadget than you may, that Exxon may, that, but every company is a sales and marketing. It's got, it's got its fundamentals and principles of how to run a business. So I, I tell people, I'm just a business owner. I'm not a property manager. I just know the fundamentals of business. You, you invest money in marketing, you get a return, you get conversion, you get clients, you run it through operations, you, you get your, you know, that, that kind of, the whole dynamics of owning a business. So, um, but going back to your question, I, I would say right now, um, internet is definitely our, our biggest inbound source of that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you prefaced that because, you know, and that's why we, I have the show, like we're, we're learning about these different lifestyle design businesses and there are different business models. And most of the entrepreneurs are in the real estate realm and whether they're investors, they're fixer and flippers, they're, they're, they're realtors, you know, they, they run property management companies such as yourself. I think that there's something to be taken away from the, the shell 
you know, learning what, what, what runs a business, what makes a good business and how we can implement different strategies that other people are using that may be in a completely different sector from us. And going back to the fundamentals, you know, you're going to need a marketing arm. When you think about the, 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 the sources of traffic for you guys and where you guys are pinpointing your efforts and you see guys are seeing returns, are these through those pay traffic campaigns like on Facebook or Instagram or things like that? Or is it more so with the old, uh, tried and true places like email marketing and things of that nature? That, that's a great question. And, and let me just say, I think the most important part of a company is the marketing department. Because if your phone's not ringing, you're going out of business. You just don't realize it yet. Yeah. And so I, it's not an or, it's an and. And, you know, I have learned, I've done a lot of studying and a lot of homework on marketing and understanding. And it's the no like, and trust, right? If I talk about me, I'm selling. If I, if I talk about you, and what your issue is and how I can help you, I'm educating. It's yeah. the, if I can get people to know, like, and trust me, I'm the educator. When you're the educator and when you're standing on stage or you have videos or you have Google reviews, that is what establishes that know, like, and trust on the internet. So if you look us up online, we have, I think, uh, 500 reviews on Google, right? I've got over 300 video blogs on our, on our company page. I'm constantly doing Facebook videos and other things of personalizing and humanizing myself. Now, we do all the Facebook ads, we do all that. And to answer your question, we track every single dollar we spend and we put it out in metrics and we KPI it because we want to know, are we getting a return on this marketing? We don't just blindly do it. And I think people just hope and pray, right? They, they throw money out there and they hope they get a return and they really have no idea. I mean, my marketing guy every week gives me a KPI sheet telling me what the best return was on our marketing dollars. Not saying I have to do anything with it, but it's good to know where's my money going and what is working best. And just because you're getting leads doesn't mean you're converting them. And just because you get leads and you convert them, if they're low dollar clients and you don't get repeat business from them, they not, might not be good either. So it's not only, I don't think it's, it's, it's not just tracking the marketing, it's tracking the secondary marketing of where it goes after that. I, that's my opinion. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are. No, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. And I think about what creates a good business, especially in, in this day and age, because brick and mortar businesses back in the day, they advertise in a completely different way. And today I, I look at all the property management companies. I look at what's working, what's not working. And even how I came across uh, your company, Steve, and I'm just like, Social media plays, and I think about my company, my, my, my educational platform and before the millions and I used to think that social media was just so an afterthought, like something you had, you would, you would think about doing like once, you know, your business was established and things of that nature. And the more and more I got ingrained into what I did and what I saw others do that was successful, it wasn't an afterthought and it's not an afterthought. And it's one of those things where it's, it's almost like it is the marketing arm of your business. Like the internet, you, I mean, you, you said it, you said it best, it's the internet. It's like everything combined, it's the internet, it's the marketing arm of your business. So I love that that's where you guys are focused and that's where, you know, that, that's where the returns are, quite frankly. So what were some of the things that you started noticing as you started the podcast and as you started speaking on stage? First, I will say that if you are not using social media as a tool, it's just a matter of time until you go out of business, in my opinion, because People go online because they don't want to see the commercial of Coca-Cola. They want to see how the CEO of Coca-Cola ha hangs out with his kids. They want that personal touch now. That is the new way of marketing, in my opinion. What, in, in the way, going back to your question of how I evolved into doing this, I had always learned that if you solve people's problems, you will be considered the expert. The more problems I can solve, 
the more I will be regarded as an expert. So with that being said, my goal is really to solve a problem. If you don't have a problem, I can't have a solution and there's no reason for us to, to do business, right? So I have to understand what is your problem? How can I solve it? And that was and doing events. And, and, and what happened was is a local radio station said, hey, we'd like to have you on as a guest. And I said, hey, no problem. I came on, they loved the, the airline pilot stories and background, and then they liked my, my analogies and, and, and obviously real estate experience. They kept asking me to come back more and more, and they said, hey, why don't you just get your own show because you, you, you're pretty good at this. And I was like, I'm the yes guy. I'm like, absolutely. So then I had a show. Then I got two radio shows. Then it turned into a, a, these podcasts. I've been on Entrepreneur on Fire. I've been in some of the largest podcast shows in Australia. I've been on a bunch of these podcast shows. And, and as I've been doing it, I'm just gaining momentum. And then someone said, hey, could you come speak at an event for me? Absolutely, I'll be there. Then I had to learn how to become a speaker, how to speak in front of crowds, not just, not just five people, but 1,000 people, 2,000 people, large experience. So it's, it's an education process, and it's an evolution that I'm constantly still learning how, how to become a better stage presenter. Um, and these are things that I'm constantly learning and constantly bettering myself because, again, what got me to this point, let's just say I have a $5 million company. If I want a $20 million company, I have to become a $20 million leader, not a $5 million leader. Yeah, and so that. I have to think differently as a $20 million a year leader than I do a $5 million. So I have to keep evolving. Otherwise, the business will either pass me up or I will be the constrictor of the business. Yeah, I love that. And I have I have two follow-up questions before we round out this this round. When you think about the fact that you're speaking on podcasts that are nationwide and you're speaking, you know, in groups on groups that are on other continents, but your 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 business is based in Texas and three cities in Texas. Explain to us what the what the um I guess what the plan is or what what the vision is, why you're speaking on such a large platform, kind of, kind of explain to us that, that thought process. That's a, that's a great question. And, and, you know, and just to, to reiterate this, a lot of these speakings have been in the last probably two or three years. So, you know, I, I did a tour in March in Australia. I toured Australia. I did about six or seven cities throughout Australia and New Zealand. Um, you know, I, I speak around the country about once a month. I'm in some other city speaking either at real estate or flippers or wholesalers or whatever. Um, and it's just kind of evolving. And, and I'm, I, I, I couldn't honestly say that I have and know what the plan is for that, except for branding and being known as the expert in the industry. And I've noticed that the more I do that, the more doors keep opening for me. Um, and I've been asked to be involved in some pretty large projects with some pretty influential people um, because of my, I, I, I couldn't say that there is a plan. I wish I could and act like I'm a smart guy, but I'm really not. Um, I just, I have a passion and I think I have a good way to convey my message. As far as the property management, our plan is to expand it um, across Texas and then um, very likely on a national level. Uh, so that's the plan on the property management side. And that's why being the expert in the property field and being the go-to guy and being known is so vital you want to make sure that you are building some type of personal brand along with your business. It's, it's almost as if it's essential at this point. So when, when, you, when you're talking to this young college student or this person who's just now starting the, the beginning of their entrepreneurial journey and they're trying to figure out, or maybe, they're, they're, maybe they've been doing business for a while, but are there any recommendations that you kind of followed along your way? You know, my, what I would say is, is it's don't talk yourself out of stuff. Just start doing Educate yourself. To me, education is the key. Get educated, know what you're doing, 
and just do it. So many people want to plan and prepare. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but there's a the graveyard of people with great ideas that never got them out of the gate, right? So the thing is, is if you want to be successful, action is actually the key. It's not being the smartest. It's not being the most prepared. It's a matter of one foot after the other and taking action and not letting things, you look, you are going to get punched in the face. Things are going to happen. You are going to fail. Things are, bad things are going to happen that you never had or thought should or would happen. And that's just part of the journey. And I think it's a matter of the, the key word I would say is taking action. And that really is the key. I, I, I'm the kind of guy that I get up at four in the morning and go to the gym. Why? Not because I like it, because I don't have any time in the day to do it anything else. And people ask me, they go, how do you get up at four? I'm like, I set my alarm and I wake up. They're like, oh, I could never do that. And I say, you know, and you never will. Because that attitude tells me you don't have it in you. So you don't have to, and I don't care if you do or not, but don't say that you can't. You choose not to. You make a choice every morning when that alarm alarm clock goes off to get up or not get up. It beats you or you beat it. And so to me, that's a conscious decision. People like to feel good. They like to have those, oh, you're okay. You're working hard. I deserve a break. Nobody deserves a break. You don't deserve anything. I didn't deserve to have planes fly into a building and change my career forever. I don't complain about it. I took action on it. And Mm. the difference I've noticed is, you know, even in in the airline pilot industry, there was a lot of people that were complaining and, oh, me and this isn't fair. It's like, you know what? I'm like, it's not fair, but what are you going to do? Like, take action. So that's just me. I'm not saying everyone has to be that way. I'm I'm kind of a, as you can tell, I'm kind of a full throttle kind of guy. But um, to me, it's really a matter of taking action and being accountable for your actions and getting educated. Lifestyle design acceleration hacks. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? 10X. By Grant Cardone. Love that book. I actually just read that book for the second time. Uh, I needed that book to start out 2019 just because I knew that it was it was the t- type of goal I have for this year. So I love that book. Uh, yeah, highly recommend. I, 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 everything about that guy. I just, I, I love everything about the guy. I, my team uses Grant Cardone. I'm friends with some people over there. I just, I, I, I resonate with hardworking people. Yeah, that's amazing. What What is your favorite lifestyle design app? This can be a business app or tool. Um, I have two that I that I live heavily in, and that's Evernote and Asana. Oh, I love both of those. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And those are those are more so organization type apps and team apps and things like that. Yep. Um, awesome. What do you enjoy most about the way your lifestyle is currently designed? The excitement, the rush. Explain that. What do you mean? Well, you know, you're, you're, I'm constantly doing stuff. I'm making deals. I'm traveling. I'm speaking. Um, yeah. You know, people see me on Facebook or on Instagram. They're like, man, you're everywhere. You know, as an airline pilot, I fly to Australia twice a month flying the plane. So I'm in Australia going to a cricket match. I'm working with real estate offices. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly doing stuff. And to me, it's, the, it's the, the momentum. I love the momentum that I'm building. And people awesome. know it. And people that know me and see me, they're like, man, you do not stop. I'm like, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep going and going until I figure this out. That's awesome. And I may That's never awesome. figure it out. That I, I don't think there's an end, but it's a matter of going and going and not stopping. Yeah. yeah. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Um, time and money. I had to sacrifice time with my family and I had to sacrifice not making any money to do this. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? 
That's a good question. I mean, I would say my wife being there and, and kind of giving me the encouragement to keep going and being patient with me to uh, not give up and, and understanding when I'm, you know, working deals at, you know, Saturday morning or Friday night or whatever, and my phone ringing nonstop, um, I would say her. Yeah. Next, next time she tells you to sell, you sell. <laughs> That's right. Last but not least, why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention of getting to the millions? Well, that's a simple thing. 70% of the words that go through our head are negative self-talk. Everything is negative. We always, that's why people like watching the news is because they say, well, shit, someone's life is worse than mine. I must not be that bad, right? Your brain gravitates towards negative vibes. So for you to say, just, and you said this earlier, you know, if all of a sudden I try something and I fail, my friends that I grew up with in Los Angeles, you know, that still live in the neighborhood are going to go, see, I told you it'd never work. He failed, knew it. Right. So, so it's, so a lot of us have that negative self-talk to say, why should I even try? I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. And we just need to flip that switch guys. And we'll, I mean, our future selves will thank us for it. Steve, this has been amazing. Like you've dropped so many value bombs. I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for the value that you've not only provided for me and my audience, because we've got, I've gotten so much value, but the value that you provide to everybody that you reach out to on a, on a daily basis, we need more people like you. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, kind of learn a little bit more about what you do and what you have to offer, where can they find some of this information? Well, they can, uh, they can find me on Facebook, Steve Rosenberg, R-O-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G. Uh, my company on Facebook, Empire Industries. Um, or they can just uh, go to our website, empireindustriesllc.com. Um, and uh, they can see everything there, Instagram. So, I mean, I'm, I'm out there. You Google me, you'll find me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Steve, this has been a, an amazing podcast episode. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.